Welcome to The Positivity Effect, where paying it forward and doing something positive in someone's life can provide them with the confidence and motivation to do the same for someone else. Like a stone dropped into a lake, let's create a ripple effect of positivity throughout our world. And it begins with your host, Dr. Thomas Retcher. Hey, what's going on, guys? Dr. Tom here, and you are listening to The Positivity Effect, episode number 110, Making Lemonade with Lemons. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. To stay updated with everything that's going on behind the scenes as well as updates for the podcast, just text the word POSITIVITY to the number 44222. You're going to get a text from me, so be on the lookout for that message, and it's going to ask for your email. So just text back your email to me, and then you're going to get an email from me requesting for you to confirm that you're okay with me sending emails to you. So thank you so much for that, for staying connected and in tune with the show and myself. Today I have on Robert and Marianne Wayman, and they are the founders of the Neuroendocrine Cancer Awareness Network, NCAN. Founded in 2004, their mission is to intensify awareness of neuroendocrine cancer, including carcinoid. NCAN provides access to information about NETS and funding for NET cancer research. For the past 12 years, NCAN has provided information and support to NET patients and caregivers through email, their website, and their toll-free phone number. Their phone line is open seven days a week, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., Eastern and 365 days a year. The phone line is answered by a patient or a caregiver at all times. And that's very important to Robert and Marianne. They want anybody that's calling you to know that the person on the other end of that phone line understands firsthand about the disease. Several thousand free information packets have been mailed worldwide and they provide many support groups worldwide with information, merchandise, awareness items, and financial support. And they are just super busy just with events, setting up events, helping people out throughout the year. And it's just really inspiring to have some time with them to talk on the podcast and also to hear Mary Ann's story because she's also a survivor of this cancer. And you're going to learn about this and how she was actually misdiagnosed for many, many years and, and how her and Robert that that basic that moment in their life how it led to this and now how they're the founders of this foundation it's really a very powerful and interesting story so they have many events coming up this year i'm going to list off just a couple of them and also you can head over to their website to get more information at www.netcancerawareness.org/events.html So just a few of these events, there's a 2016 conference that's coming up in New Orleans on September 22nd, as well as on October 22nd, the 8th Annual Strides for Stripes Zebra that's actually on Long Island at the Eisenhower Park in East Meadow, and it's at Parking Field 5, and registration will be open soon for that event, and there is a whole bunch of other things coming up. So just head over to that page at netcancerawareness.org slash events.html and help me 
Welcome then now to the positivity effect. Bob, Marianne, welcome to the positivity effect. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This is uh, it's always a special treat for me when I get to have somebody uh, on the show who's a, a fellow. Well, actually, two people today, uh, fellow Long Islanders. It's it's always uh, it's always cool. It sure is. Yeah, we're excited to be on. We've been uh, uh, waiting to get on for a couple of weeks, and uh, we're very excited. And you guys have been just rocking it this year. Super busy with everything that you're doing, which we're going to get into. And and the year isn't isn't over yet for you. <laughs> no, that's no, right. still plenty of events to go. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we always try to have these just really these uplifting conversations for people to to help bring them to a better place. And and this is a very a different conversation for me. It's very it's a very important conversation. And there, there's so many foundations out there, but. This one was it was really interesting for me to to read into it and learn a little bit about it. So, why don't you would you guys just um, give us a little backstory into how you got into forming this foundation and and you know where and kind of bring it up to us, us up to speed of what you're doing today with it as well. Okay. Um, well, I am a customized patient um, who was misdiagnosed for seven years. Um, I had seven colonoscopies and seven endoscopies that told me that everything was fine or I had colitis, or ulcerated colitis, or um, irritable bowel, um, and the whole time the tumor was actually growing in my ileum. Um, unfortunately, um, after the seventh doctor went in there, he finally found the tumor, and they found where I was bleeding, because I had been bleeding on and off for seven years. Wow. Um, so once I got diagnosed, unfortunately at the time, um, there really wasn't... Um, Facebook or any of that other stuff, and um, there was only really one organization, and unfortunately, they didn't have a hotline that was open on the day that I got diagnosed, so I had to wait five days before I get to speak to somebody. So, of course, the first thing you do when you get diagnosed is you Google, and oh, what, I yeah. found, what I found was a lot of the information was outdated. It really scared the hell out of me because... They told me I was only going to be alive for five years. Well, I got diagnosed in 2001, and here it is, 2016, and I'm still here and going strong. Um, That's great. So we um, started raising money for the foundation because, unfortunately, um, being a rare disease, we don't get the funding for our um, research and um, as much as other organizations do or other cancers. Um, so we started raising money that way, but I realized there was no awareness. Um, so in 2003, um, we started filling out paperwork and in 2004, we started the foundation. Um, we originally were called the Carcinoid Cancer Foundation, sorry, cancel that. We were called the Carcinoid Cancer Awareness Network and, um, and over the years, we started helping other patients, um, neuroendocrine is an umbrella for all different types of cancers. Um, it's uh, also for PNAS and for uh, carcinoid patients, um, 80% of neuroendocrine are carcinoid patients, so uh, we decided to change our name about two years ago. Um, so since then, we've really um, brought awareness to the disease by um, our logo is a zebra, and we did that because um, Dr. Goodfoot went here and hooked these look for the common, not the uncommon, and being where a rare disease, we want them to look for rare diseases. And also, like our fingerprints, um, no two, no two zebras have the same stripes. So that's one of the reasons why we use it. That's so true. Since, 
So since then, um, since 2003, when we started to use it as a logo, it has now become national and international as the uh, the um, logo and the awareness um, is the zebra as the mascot. Um, since 2003, um, Robin and I... Um, started doing educational programs for patients where we bring world-renowned doctors um, to different states um, to educate patients. Um, this is good for the patients because they get to hear firsthand um, about the disease um, by people who have specialized in this disease. Um, when we first started in 2003, there was maybe 10 to 15 specialists around the world um, right now, we have probably over 50 to 100. Um, wow. So there is a lot of education out there. Um, what's really good about these conferences also is that the patient gets to meet other patients and also gets to ask questions from this specialist. So um, it's kind of unique. Um, I don't think many other cancer um, groups do that for the patients um, where they actually get to have a conference and meet with doctors one-on-one -on -one and get to ask questions like that. So we're really proud of that. Um, you know, we also do awareness through um, support line. Um, Robin and I's uh, telephone number went out on the Internet, and so our home number became a hotline. Um, <laughs> and so um, we get calls from all over the world, and uh, we do answer the phone seven days a week, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, however, uh, if it's an emergency, um, people do call us at 2 o'clock in the morning um, from California, not realizing how late it is, or they will call and say, oh, I was expecting a machine. I wasn't expecting a person. <laughs> well, that's but, that's awesome. I'm, I'm sure it's, it could be tough at times to, to keep up with all that, but that that's really that's pretty cool that you do that. Yeah, you know, I kind of made a commitment to the patient saying that no patient should ever have to wait to speak to somebody. Um, so well, what's what's so powerful too is that that you've gone through you know that you've gone through this experience, right? And that's important to us. Like uh, most foundations um, usually have a call center, and they might have one or two patients on call to answer questions. Um, when they when they call our office, they either speak to myself or Robert or our daughter, who also is a patient and a caregiver. So um, it's somebody that understands what you're going through, and I think that that's really um, important, uh, you know, to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation. Right. I want to ask you a question. It's just it's just really inspiring to hear everything that you guys are doing with the, the foundation and. Robert, I think maybe you can comment on this too. So for people listening right now, clearly we can see that that you guys really are that example of what I'm trying to set with the show and people that I have on the show, that you guys are creating that ripple effect in, in specifically when we're talking about neuroendocrine cancer and people that, that are you know they're dealing with this on a daily basis. And there's definitely people that are listening to the show right now that maybe themselves or maybe a family member is going through some kind of rare disease and... and the the inspiring thing about you, Marianne, is that all right. You can have two. You can go two different ways when you, when you're going through something like that. You can you you have that choice. You always have a choice in anything that you're given in life, and you chose to obviously make something positive of it. You chose to to be that lighthouse uh, on a hill for, and and be the light shining for others that are going through that. So why don't we t take us through your mind a little bit uh, before? 
backwards before you even started the foundation when you found out about that like what was what were some things that you were going through with them how were you processing that and how was that for you guys how did you guys get through that in those initial steps um, because it, it, I think it's going to really help for people that are listening that maybe maybe them too that they, they need to hear that inspiration too because maybe they they could be doing the same thing and it, it, and and we want to direct them away from that that other direction that that can be so so damaging if if you if you go off the wrong end well Tom it's um it's kind of uh, I guess you could you could say you know as it repeats itself. I mean, you could have a bad day or something like that, and it's you know it's just a bad day. But <clears throat> when you keep going through it for year after year, it is a little bit of a nightmare. It's 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 frustrate it's frustration that gets you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you you might be a little scared, but it, it gets beyond that. It's it's so frustrating. So uh, you know, it does take quite a bit of. Uh, of uh, mental discipline, you got to regroup a lot and continue to continue to search, continue to make sure that you're trying to get the best care you can. And uh, yeah, so you really do have to be positive. You have to wake up and take uh, take the day at a time. And if it's a good day, then really enjoy yourself. And if it's not so good, then search for ways to make it better. You know, once once you get to the point where you're diagnosed. You know that was good, and and I admire Marianne too because, you know, you get to, as you say, <clears throat> take something bad or make some lemonade from the lemons that you've been given. So, right, uh, right. you know, it's it's, and I'm, it's good. And I'm sure that was not the when you first get that that diagnosis, you're not like, okay, I'm going to go start a foundation and start helping thousands of people. It's 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 a, it's numero uno. You know, like when you when you first get that, it's like what's whoa, like everything time stops. So. When when was the point for you where you started to really make strides with with your own self, with I guess accepting with what was going on, and then realizing, okay, you know what, I'm getting through this, and I'm finding ways. We're getting through this together. I want to start. This, I want to be an inspiration for others. I want to help lead others through this as well. Yeah, you know, um, from day one um, of my diagnosis, honestly, I was just so relieved to know what was going on. I, you know, I don't even think. I was actually relieved and happy that I had something to um, put your finger on. It. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, Robert, Robert will tell you. I mean, people, the doctors were like, "You're crazy." I mean, literally, we had a doctor that told me, "Oh, you just need more fiber in your diet. That's the only your oh, only geez. problem." And I was like, "I'm bleeding from the rectum. You're giving yeah. me a blood transfusion. Something is wrong here." Right. Um, you know. And we had doctors tell me that we needed a marriage counselor. And I said, if I needed a marriage counselor, my husband would be standing here with me. You know, he, he, he was with me every step of the way. And I had a lot of support that way. And, you know, it kind of just evolved. It was, you know, I reached out to the Customer Cancer Foundation. We started raising money. Um, we went to a support group meeting. Um, it was all the way out in Long Island. It was a Thursday night. Um, Robert had to leave work early. Um, we got there, there was three people there and I was like, okay, well, where is everybody? And, um, they said, this is it. And I said, there's gotta be more of us on the island. And, um, I said, you know, my sister is the assistant to the director of the library, local library, um, in Belmore. I said, why don't we move it towards the middle of the island? And, uh, sure enough, the first meeting we had 15 people and, uh, we got home that evening, and there was a message on my answer machine, congratulations, you're the new support group leader of Long Island. 
So it was kind of thrown at me. Um, and um, like I said, um, just by being a group leader, um, literally I was diagnosed in March. Um, in May, um, I started my treatment. And then by the following January, I was a sport group leader. So I really hadn't even had it a year when I got thrown into this. And um, like I said, my telephone number got out on the Internet, and the next thing you know, people were calling us, and it just kind of... It's really kind of an organic growth. It just kind of kept growing. You know, we uh, we uh, walked out one day and said, gee, you know, we should get one of these experts to come and talk to these folks that now are coming to these meetings. So we organized our first conference and had a doctor come out and, and speak with people and from there, it just continued to, to grow, and uh, there's a need out there. Uh, you know, we get maybe two to five calls a day from people who say, yeah, I know you do this, but you won't believe it. I've got this crazy rare cancer. And it's like, well, you're the third one today that's calling me. So, uh, you know, that's how it kind of grew. Yeah. It's, uh, you know. Yeah. It's, I was going to say, it's, it's so important, the, the, the kind of work that you guys are doing, because... I'm talking about myself too. I, I'm an audiologist. I help people with their hearing. And I can understand too that sometimes, like from a doctor's perspective, they go through all this training and it's, it's, it could be difficult in our minds to say, well, you know, I, I'm trying to, because you, I guess when you're trying to create that diagnosis, you're trying to line all these things up in your head with, with what you know, with your book knowledge and this and what you've done through case studies. And then with, and then in, in honor of the, the, the patient too, it's like, but you're the patient. You're dealing with all these things, and 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 then there's that that basically the miscommunication and the misunderstanding. So right. it's it's so important to to be doing this work that you guys are doing to have this outreach, and and it's kind of like it's going down the 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 road less traveled, and it could be very difficult, I'm sure, and and at times, and because you're going right. sometimes against that conventional knowledge. Right. Well, you know, we you know we um, encourage the patients to become advocates for themselves. Um, you know, uh, most a lot of patients, especially um, when we first started, were older patients, um, and so they were taught that whatever the doctor says is it. Never question your doctor. And um, so now we we have a lot of younger people coming up at, that are getting diagnosed, and now they're asking the doctor or they're bringing information to the doctor and saying, this is what I, you know, I have, you know, will you help me along the journey? Um, so, you know, we, we encourage advocates, um, we encourage the patients to become advocates for themselves and not say, if you're not feeling well and you feel there's something seriously wrong, to go and check again, to go and see another doctor to make sure that you get the answers and not just, you know, leave it alone. If I had just left it alone, I don't know if I would be here today. I was very lucky. Um, the doctor that I went to when I got diagnosed knew exactly what it was, knew exactly what test, knew exactly what medicine to start me right away. Um, I was very lucky. There are a lot of patients out there that aren't that lucky. Right, right. And you know, I like what you're saying, too, just about being an advocate because you're not, you're not telling the patients to, to completely say, say no to what the doctors are saying. It's just saying, be an advocate for yourself and and kind of take ownership of what you're dealing with. So you can take what the doctors are saying and, and analyze it yourself constructively and see what's best for you. I, I think it's definitely a shift that's been happening these, these last few decades because 
it just talking to either my parents or my grandparents, it's more, it was always more of a, just whatever the doctor says, that's what you do. And, and that's the way you go kind of thing. And, uh, it's, it has to change because there has to be more of a communicate, even just with my own patients, there has to be more of a, uh, an open line of communication between the doctor and the patient. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, Tom, sorry to break in there, but, uh, uh, you know, doctors are asked to know about thousands of diseases. We, we know a lot about one disease. So uh, that doesn't make us, that definitely doesn't make us doctors, but you know, uh, there are doctors out there who will, be a little intimidated by that, I'm sure, and I don't think that I blame them, but uh, the stakes are high, and that patient has to realize that his life is at stake, and if he has something to say and he knows something, he better stand his ground, you know? Right, and it, yeah, if, if you're if you're a doctor and you're getting trained on thousands of different diseases and, and you're passing through them so quickly in your training, and then you, you now we meet somebody like you guys, you, right, you have thousands of, of hours of of just deal, di- diving into the research and, and you have some real special, specialized knowledge that when I think in my just just listening to you, when it when coupled correctly with the doctors, you can really make a powerful impact and you can really help make a difference in the patient's lives. Right. And that's it. And, you know, um, I, there was a gentleman um, years ago when we first started the support group and he was one of them that got my telephone number on the internet and um, it was the patient's son. Um, the patient had gotten diagnosed back in um, in his early 30s, and he was in his 60s, late 60s, and um, he got diagnosed, and um, nobody ever told him what it was. And years later, he ended up with throat cancer, and he ended up with metastases in his liver, um, and the man was about yeah. 70, 65, 70 years old. Yeah, this was, this was something just to kind of fill it in. He had been diagnosed with, with carcinoid or neuroendocrine cancer in his 30s. They took care of him, and they, you know, they kind of said, okay, you're fine, but they never filled him in on any details. And he went about his life when he got diagnosed with throat cancer. They said, gee, you have carcinoid all over your body. It, they hadn't tra- uh, tracked it or, or anything and, uh, or followed it, and so it was everywhere. So um, the, son, the son had called me and, and, you know, said that a big hospital on the island had recommended that um, he get his affairs ordered, that he'd be gone in two weeks. And, um, you know, I got him into a specialist and I got him into chemo and um, I, you know, I explained to my doctor, you know, I'm not asking you to stay this man. I know it's in his late stages, but I'm asking you to have this man die with dignity. And uh, we were able to do it. And the man had another 18 months. And he got to see his grandchildren be born. He got to see, um, you know, his, his daughter get married and stuff like that. So maybe 18 months doesn't seem like a lot, but to me... Did you say yeah, he, and he was originally given two weeks? Yes. Wow. See, that, that's so powerful because I've heard these stories where it, it's, it's so important that, that that information has to be communicated so delica- delicately to the patient because... There's, there's been plenty of times where that person, the patient's told when there's no, maybe, the, maybe there's no family in the room and maybe just the doctor comes in alone and the patient's right. very vulnerable and they say, oh, you have two weeks. And then sure enough, like on the dot, the patient passes away in two weeks. And right. so it's, it's a, it's big, big part of the, the, it's not to get too metaphysical, but the, the brain has a very big impact with all of that. So it's, 
That's an incredible story. Absolutely. And so, you know, the son called me and we got him to a specialist and we got him on treatment right away. And like I said, you know, maybe to some people, 18 months doesn't seem like a lot, but when it's your daughter getting married or a grandchild being born, that's something that those kids will have for the rest of their lives, that their father was able to make that. And, um, right. you know, so that's why we, we always try to say on the positive side that, you know, um, we try to do better for the for the patients and to make sure that they um, know that there's there's hope out there and that you know there are people out there willing to help them and and guide them to um, get the right resources to get the right information to get the right specialists and and things like that. Absolutely, Robert, Marion, I want to ask you guys. So, so if somebody's listening right now and they're maybe trying to self-diagnose themselves or they either they've maybe know somebody that does have this. Can you guys walk us through a little bit of the things that some of the symptoms that maybe come up? And then also if somebody does have this right now, what are some of the steps obviously along with going to your website and learning more about it, but what are some of the steps that they can do that they, so they can go about this process more, I guess, correctly and, and really get through it a little bit easier than if they were uh, alone in the dark with it. Well, um, you know, it mimics a lot of other diseases. So um, carcinoid of the lung can mimic asthma, a lot of pneumonia cases. If you'll constantly get pneumonia or asthma, have them check, you know, with the CAT scan to see if there is a carcinoid there. Um, you know, it's, it's often found in the appendix. Um, one out of every hundred autopsies has a non-functioning carcinoid in the appendix. Um, so if you've had your appendix removed, um, I would question your doctor and say, you know, what exactly was done in the biopsy. Um, you know, in carcinoid, in my case, I had um, terrible abdominal pains and diarrhea for years and years and years. Um, you know, if you have IBS or you have Crohn's or something like that and the medication isn't working, why not ask your doctor? Um, you know, to do some simple blood tests and urine tests can be done to see, to start to see if this is something you have. You know, this disease is not a life sentence. We have 20 and 30 year survivors out there. Um, if it's diagnosed early and you get treated right away with a biotherapy, not a chemotherapy, some, many people live a long and happy life. Um, so, you know, it's not, like I said, it's treated more as a chronic disease. As, like you have diabetes, you would treat it the same way. Um, you know, you would have to go for your injections that be followed with blood tests and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, what also is, is sad about this disease is that there's many people who have passed who um, never put their name to it. And, um, you know, so we yeah. don't get the recognition. Yeah. Um, you know, Dave Thomas from uh, Wendy's. Um, passed away of carcinoid, um, and it was in his liver, and like the autopsy says, uh, the autopsy, the obituary says liver cancer. Um, Steve Jobs died of a neuroendocrine of the pancreas, not pancreatic cancer. Interesting, um, yeah. You know, so uh, Audrey Hepburn died of appendiceal carcinoid. So there are people out there, but unfortunately, we don't have the name or the the big names or faces to go with it. So is there? Um, do they know of research of of some of the reasons why some of these things may come to be? Is it is it strictly in the? Is it genetics? Is it what's going and, on with this? Well, the small intestines. They just did a study that the small intestines. Thirty percent of us will have a familial carcinoid in the family. Um, 
So as I do, um, my daughter also was diagnosed with it. But in most cases, it is not hereditary. Um, but, you know, uh, we do have about 12 to 15 families on Long Island that do have familial. So they have more than one member that does have carcinoid. Um, but we also have, we have over 175 patients that I know of that do live on Long Island. Um, there's a mm-hmm. hundred, yeah, there's 120, there is approximately 125,000 of us in the U.S. and approximately 10 to 12,000 are diagnosed each year. Is there anything, anything dietarily that, that people can do to, to kind of keep things at bay or before it actually gets to the full-blown diagnosis? Unfortunately, not really. Um, you know, a healthy diet, um, but, you know, uh, we have patients who um, it secretes certain hormones and one of them happens to be serotonin um, and high levels of serotonin does not the serotonin that makes you happy um, can right. damage your heart. And believe it or not, we have quite a few members who have had valve replacement and were never told that it was damaged from the high levels of serotonin and had valve replacements and then years later find out that they actually had a tumor in their small intestine. So, um, you know, that's what we're out there trying to do. We're not only trying to educate patients and uh, awareness to the public, we also want to try to uh, get the awareness out there to GI doctors and to cardiologists and, and the pulmonologist to, to kind of make them think when they, they see a patient that is having this, that maybe they should look into it. Um, you know, we had a patient that was diagnosed by a dermatologist. Um, she was being treated for years for rosacea, and um, the dermatologist's mother-in-law ended up got diagnosed with carcinoid, and after her diagnosis, all of a sudden was like, you know, that patient that I've been treating for rosacea, maybe I should be testing her for carcinoid. And sure enough, the patient had carcinoid. Wow. But it would never have, it would never have been one of those thoughts until his mother-in-law got diagnosed. Well, you know, what's so interesting about this that is that even though it's, it's, it's focused on neuroendocrine cancer, that everything that you're doing, and especially the communication that you have with the doctors, it, this is going to help with all types of rare diseases because it's helping them kind of stop and think and, and say, okay, we need to raise our awareness outside of our conventional knowledge and, and be more open-minded. Right. And, and that's really just where the, the conversation starts. Right. And that, you know, that's it. I mean, a lot of patients are flushing, um, which is different than a hot flash. But if you're a woman and you're over the age of 40, automatically, if you say that you're flushing, they go, oh, you're in menopause. Um, and so they don't even bother checking, and right. actually the person is flushing, not having a hot flash. And there's a little difference. A hot flash, you'll be sweating. A flushing episode, most of the time, is just a dry, a dry um, heat. So completely um, different, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there, you know, it mimics a lot of different diseases, and from constant flushing, you may look like you have a rosacea rash when actually it's just you know, damage from so much flushing. It's crazy. And it's just, yeah, all this is just raising that awareness. Well, right. so I want to ask you one last question before, uh, before we go. If you guys were suddenly, it's kind of like a time capsule question. If you were suddenly at the end of your life and you were reflecting on all that you had done, all that you had created, all that you have been through, 
what kind of impact would you want to be remembered for? How about Rob? Robert, you go first. Okay. Uh, well, you know, this is, uh, this is something that uh, we were put into, and I won't say thrown into it because, uh, you know, it's really, it's been a blessing. We are able to help people. And, uh, you know, we've had some adversity in our lives. Everybody does. But, uh, you know, we actually have an impact on people's lives and are able to help them. And I think that's probably a legacy you would want to, you, I would most likely want to leave is to, to have been able to help people and have people say, gee, you know, he really, he really uh, helped me, saved my life or helped me understand better or whatever it might happen to be. Awesome. Thank you, Robert. And how about you, Marianne? Um, I think I, I agree with Robert. I, I think that I want to be remembered for the foundation and that all the work that we did and that, you know, we made a different difference in people's lives and that, um, you know, we were able to um, help many along the way with their journey and that, you know, um, that we were there to support them when they needed them in their time of need. Um, and also that we helped many families along the way, too. And um, I think that's the most important thing. That's beautiful. Thank you guys for sharing that. Truly, truly, the work that you guys are doing, it really is the the definition of what this this podcast is, the positivity effect. You're creating that ripple effect. You're, you're, you're raising an awareness for people that are going through this disease that that feel like they have no hope. And, and, and Marianne, you were there at one point, and it's just it's really awesome to see what you guys are doing. So guys, check out what Robert and Marianne are doing. Head over to netcancerawareness.org, the Neuroendocrine Cancer Awareness Network, to learn more. So guys, thank you so much thank you. for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Very, We're so happy to have been part of it. Absolutely. Thank you so much.